coming to you direct from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. I am your host, Christopher Calloway, for Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comics and in other mediums. It's really hot here in the Southwest, both in terms of the temperature and in terms of the coronavirus, but let's have some fun. Let's talk about a hot book and a hot artist, Terry Dodson. Known for his artwork on the X-Men, Spider-Man, Harley Quinn, and Wonder Woman joins Creator Talks for this special episode. Terry and I will discuss his creator-owned series, Adventure Man, being published through Image Comics and written by Matt Fraction. And we also talk about his work on the miniseries X-Men Fantastic Four, published through Marvel Comics and written by Chip Zdarsky. We discuss the genesis of each series. Why did the first issue of Adventure Man need to be supersized? And will the fallout from the events of the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries matter in the grand scheme of Marvel history? Rachel Dodson can't be with us, but we find out why. Rachel, Terry's wife, inks both series and inks most of Terry's comic work. We discuss the joys of working from home with our spouses and the secret to making it all work. You know, on Adventure Man, Terry pulls double duty by penciling and coloring Adventure Man. Why did he decide to take the series palette into his own hands? Did you know that Terry is a co-founding member of Mercury Studios, now known as Helioscope Studios? Well, he explains how it remains an invaluable resource for him. With no convention appearances planned this year due to the coronavirus pandemic, how is Terry still able to connect with his fans? All this and more, plus the fun questions I ask all my guests as I kick back with the creator. So please join me and Terry Dodson, here now on Creator Talks. Terry, welcome to Creator Talks. Oh, thanks, Christopher. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you being here and also listening to the show. I actually listen to a lot of podcasts when I uh, exercise. Uh, and so it's always nice to find a new one to listen to while I'm, not, while I'm out doing that, taking my mind off the pain I'm, I'm going through. That's exactly why I do it. Rarely while I'm working because it takes a lot of concentration. But if I'm working out or I'm doing something I don't like to do, fold laundry, or back in the day, I used to cut the lawn when I was in Delaware. But yeah, that's when I would just listen to tons of podcasts. That has been my evolution of that too, is that I used to initially while I work, but now it's never while I work, but only when I'm doing something else. Exactly. Yeah. I tune it out. I just It's just yeah. like background noise. and I, I'm missing things. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, I got to pay attention to my work. <laughs> exactly. That even happens now when I'm... <laughs> I'm listening to the podcast casually. All of a sudden, it puts my mind on a, uh, a good topic to go take off into, and I solve a lot of problems and come up with new ideas. I'm 10 minutes into a podcast, <laughs> like, what are they talking about? Well, we've all been stuck at home. And have you had a chance to get out at least over the weekend to have some fun, to get to see the great outdoors? You know, we live in a rural location, and so weather permitting, I guess we, I'd say daily, we're getting outside and, um, and doing something outside just because uh, the population's low where we live and we're already outside of the smaller town that we live in right now or well outside of Portland. It's actually made it uh, a relatively easy transformation for us because we already worked at home and it was very simple just to simply go outside every day uh, and relax and made us kind of feel guilty at the same time. But I mean, it's where we live. So and it's like, <laughs> we kind of chose to live here on purpose for the reason to get outside and relax. And yeah, we've definitely taken advantage of it. You know, people probably ask you, how do you two work together at home? And I can tell you how it's done, how I've had to do it, because I just started work from home a few months ago, and I'm going to be here for a few months more. 
And my wife has worked from home for several years now. And we were sharing the same space for a while, the same room. Not good because mm-hmm. she'll be on a call. I'm on a call. My headphones work. Hers don't. The kids come in because they're home part of the time. Now they're only home part of the time. They were home the whole time. Three-year-old yeah, and eight-year-old. <laughs> so we decided let's separate our offices. She likes downstairs. I said, you can take the downstairs. I'll take the upstairs because, you know, it's where my studio is. <laughs> and it's been great. I pass through. Hey. And I go to the refrigerator. Yeah, see you. Yeah. And that's it. Initially, when I started working, I was at home and I, I got into a studio situation. And Rachel went to that same studio with me for like two years. That whole situation was more for me to learn how to work as a professional, go to a day job basically, because when I started working, I was so young, it was really difficult to, to just sit at a home and draw. By having to get up every morning, go into a studio, drive in, you know, park, go in, have nothing else to do but work, really disciplined me into having to be able to work at home. And then uh, by the same time, Rachel started working regularly, and so we basically just had a home studio. She worked in a separate room off and on. We actually work in a big space now where we both share, but Rachel works pretty much nine to five, and uh, she has a horse, and she'll take off in the afternoons, and uh, so we don't spend that much time together. But the good part is, is we like 95% of the same music, TV shows, podcasts, radio shows, whatever. So we, <laughs> we're really lucky <laughs> that we like the same stuff within that small percentage. And we know just to stay away from those trouble points. But yeah, her having her hobbies that she gets to go do outside uh, really helps. And uh, and again, you know, being comic artists, we're basically quiet anyways, because we're not talking on phones. We're not having business meetings or whatever. We're, we're just doing our work. It's good. It's, you know, we've been doing it together for 23, 24 years. So we obviously know what we're doing and when to take a break from each other. That's great. Uh, you've got the formula down. That's the way it works. I mean, we don't listen to the same music when we're working, but we do listen to a lot of the same music and we do watch a lot of the same TV shows. And what we usually both like, we were watching something last night and we're like, ah, nah, not into it. Yeah. Not, not working yeah. for me. Not working for me. And I said, yeah, okay, we'll move on. Podcast, she won't listen to my podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, the, the podcast, unless uh, there's an extremely interesting interview with a pop culture person or mm-hmm. an author or something, then we'll listen to it. Right. Otherwise, yeah, they're all for me to, to, to sample <laughs> on my own time, which is fun. Speaking of studios, now you were a founding member of the Helioscope Studio back when it was called Mercury Studios? Yeah, it was Mercury, then Periscope, and then Helioscope. That even kind of fell out of the studio that I was mentioning earlier was Studio Source, which we formed when I was 24, 25 years old um, with eight other professionals in the Portland area. Um, this is like 95, 96, 95. I was in that studio for two years full time and then I was able to work at home. So I just decided to do that. In 2001, half of those people wanted to get together again and form a new studio. But that was where uh, Helioscope came from. What were those days like? Do you have any memories of the early days? some of the challenges and some of the rewards at the studio. The original studio for me was the great thing, as I mentioned, it was just be able to have questions answered, but really building a sense of discipline and work, how to get work done. Mm-hmm. I had the drawing tools, but it was, it was just sitting down and keep and staying focused was the main benefit that came out of it. Uh, out of Helioscope, Helioscope has just turned into a whole other thing where there's um, interns and those and so there's always new people coming in and new ideas, young, fresh you know, ideas and spirits and uh, tools. And there's this great exposure to technology for me. 
Um, so I am always up to date on the best new tools, which is the most important thing, but it's really smart to stay relevant with what is going on. You know, you should, as an artist, whatever tool you use shouldn't matter, but it's, it's nice to know whatever he's using. And then every couple generations, I'll, I will jump into that next tool or whatever. That's been a huge benefit of Helioscope. If I have a tech question or anything, there's someone there that knows an answer. It's so important to keep up with technology in any aspect of your life, because if I have to help my kids someday with something, I have to have some idea what they're using. I mean, a kid just got a PS4. I have to know something about it because if there's a problem, they're going to come to me. They don't usually go to mom. I'm usually the tech guy at home to kind of figure things out. So it's all about being relevant. You don't want to fall behind on the technology so you can still do the things you love to do. You know, the tools change, but you still make the art. You still are creating that. You just have to be able to do it with the new tools now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And easily can just do everything on paper. Comics have been created since the 19th century or whatever. But um, it's nice to know what I can use that will actually improve my artwork and speed me up. And if there is something that, that's better or for travel, that's really, really cool now is that you can take a vacation, a longer vacation because you can kind of make it a working vacation and stay somewhere longer now with the technology that allows you to produce a comic book anywhere in the world and mobily. That's a pretty neat little thing to do, to spend an extra week in a nice place because you can get a little bit of extra work done while you're there. And we're not doing that right now, but that was something I was going to be doing like right now. This, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation because I'd be on the road somewhere coloring instead of at my house because uh, I wanted to just really try that out this summer was taking extended work holidays. And also going to cons, which are not happening right now. Like there was supposed to be a Star Trek con here in Las Vegas in July or August, and it got moved now to December. And I'm even thinking, I don't know. So Emerald City has been canceled until next year now. So we don't have that FaceTime at the cons, but are you still getting a lot of commission requests that you're doing at home? I actually don't do uh, commissions at home. What I do... Instead, is just to take on more work or cover work or, or whatever. So I never actually do commissions at home. But, okay. of course, uh, since I'm not going to shows, um, I decided with Emerald City to start doing that in combination with the shows I wasn't going to go to just to kind of keep in touch with fans. And, it's you know, it's a really nice and easy way to take a video of something that I'm drawing and post that up. Um, and I can show it because it's not something that's going to be published. It's a commission. So... There's no um, NDAs or uh, I'm not giving away any secrets by showing this drawing of Wonder Woman or uh, Superman that I drew. It's been a kind of cool way to stay connected with fans the last three months. It's been really nice to show people drawings and, and kind of give people something to look at, you know, besides the news. So, yeah, that's actually been kind of fun. I've actually been just once or twice a week, I'll do one of those sketches and post them up for people to see. And that's been my, my pseudo conventions. This summer was my 30th straight San Diego Comic-Con. Wow. which is stunning in a number of ways. But I'm really thinking I'll do another sketch list for that and maybe do a couple of prints or something uh, special for that just because that would have been a big deal for me. And that show is the way I measure the rest of the year. San Diego's like the thing I did every year. And there's always such a big crowd every year that I could get a really good gauge on what I was doing, what was working, what wasn't. And, of course, seeing friends and seeing fans and other professionals. And, I mean, it's just always a fun place to be. And just to kind of know what's coming next. Um, but I think I'll try to do like a virtual one day thing where I post sketches or do sketches and something like that, not to see everybody. And that's been the biggest regret about this besides health and et cetera and people's income. But just for me personally, just not be able to go out and see people has been a real bummer. I get my, uh, my energy restored after going to a con. I just feel like I'm ready to go back to it, you know? Yeah. And, and 
honestly, this particular year, I had actually planned the most public appearances as I like would ever do by like double or triple, maybe ten times more. Because you know, I'm launching creator own book, and I, I go, oh, this is a great opportunity to hit all those places I've never been. And you know, we were actually talking about doing an actual road trip, maybe a three, four week road trip, hit the Southwest, hit Texas. And then a return home, and that's just huge amounts of the country we get to see and go vacation in, but just shops and fans that I've never seen. And to do it, promoting your own book, is, you know, it's just like a, you know, a rock and roll tour, you know? <laughs> like, right, right. You know, obviously not as crazy, but, you know, it's uh, going to bed early and stuff. But <laughs> just sounded, like, really appealing. Uh, and Rachel was into it. So I'm really bummed out that that's not happening. I'd probably be just returning from that right now. Mm. Yeah. When you... um do requests commissions what's the most requested let's see i can actually say it's going to be across like pretty evenly between wonder woman uh, black cat harley quinn emma frost uh, and then maybe like spider-man those five probably actually this last list i did rogue was a big one that kind of came out of nowhere the ones that I, you know, have my longest probably association with in comics runs with those characters. It kind of makes sense. They're ones that people want to see me do. What's the most unusual request that you've had? Uh, unusual. There was a guy that had, um, his name was Cliff. And so he had a sketchbook with characters and a cliff. And so that, I mean, keeping it within child friendly, that'd be the most okay one, I would say. It was a pretty cool collection. You know, it really made the artist think and come up with something unique. But there's a lot of people who have these theme sketchbooks. I like your thoughts on this as a professional in the business. With the whole diamond distribution changing with DC going away, some people I've heard, like the bells tolling for comic shops, this is the end, you know, the end is nigh. And I've heard this like every few years, like it's the end of comics, everything, the world's crashing down. And it is in a way, but do you really think the two-month hiatus that we've had due to COVID-19, the shipping hold, and DC pulling away from diamond – are the nail in the coffin for comic shops. In my area, there's three that are a part of a chain and mm-hmm. one is closing. Okay. I don't know if it's COVID. I understand the rent's too high. Like the rent has just shot up and they're not working with the shop owner. So they have to close on that one location, but they still have two others. Okay. But do you think other shops, and I'm sure some are feeling some impact with their own, that very slim margin and living month to month. What do you think? You know, I honestly don't have any numbers. And, and the fact that I've been kind of sheltered from going into my shops that I would go to these last couple of months, I honestly don't have any like actual factual information. I, my guess is that since the book started shipping in the end of May, that a good percentage of shops are able to weather that storm. I think all of these books that are coming out now brought people back into stores. And so there may be a few 10, 20 percent shops, which is not, which is still kind of a scary number mm-hmm. that may have lost. I'm just guessing on this, but may have lost, you know, may have gone under. But I'm hoping that over this year, with the enthusiasm for the books, because March was the best month that comics had had pre COVID, the pre order numbers were the best, was the best month in years. There was a trend of the books really just taking off again. So I'm kind of hoping that people's enthusiasm and then obviously the kind of a desire to keep reading stuff after not having anything for two months will get people back into stores um, like they were before. And then it's just a matter of uh, weathering this for however long it takes for people to get their back on the ground and that the comic shops will recover. But I do think out of this, there's going to be new outlets for buying comics. I think more people are going to be buying them online and more people are going to be doing digital comics. 
So I do think comics are going to be as strong or stronger, but there might be a slight dip in actual uh, sales of floppies through comic shops for a while. There has to be a dip. I'm just going to say a 20% dip just because what has happened around the world. But I, I do think it's recoverable. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it goes for any business, really. They're learning how to adapt to this situation. They're learning new ways to meet their customers' needs. My comic shop had curbside pickup. They had delivery for a while. So they found ways around this, and other businesses are finding the same thing. So it's making us stronger in some ways and more flexible and giving us more channels to distribute comics or ones that we've used, like you said, digital. It may get a little bit of an uptick because of that, but I don't think it's the end. I don't know any facts to back this up as far as how it's going to affect actual retail comic shops, but I think all comics are collected in the books, and those books are still getting collected and sold through uh, Amazon or, or any bookstore or, or comic shop as well. So I, there's still going to be physical comics and collections, of course, because uh, there are other outlets available. But the best place to buy a comic book is a comic shop because you get to go in, you get to talk to your, your retailer, you get to talk to their fans, you get to hold stuff and look at it and compare. So that's the best experience for buying comics, hands down. Conventions are great too, but there's something about a weekly trip to your local comic shop and talking to people. Having having a pull list is so nice. I mean, I've had a pull list forever just because I can't always get into a shop. And so it's nice to know that the books will be there for me. And if there's something else I want, I'll have them put it in that box. As far as how uh, what's going to happen with the distributors, I really don't know. I mean, I lived through the uh, the, the 90s when the, all the retailers um, went away. And we went to a single distributor. Obviously, I guess the more distributors there are in some ways, is a healthier thing. But um, the difference, though, in the old system is that the distributors handled all the books. They weren't exclusive things. And when we had all the troubles in the 90s is when we went to this thing where everything went exclusive to the distributors. And if we follow that path right now, we're not on a good course. So I'm hoping that DC has a pretty good idea why they're doing what they're doing, which I assume they do. A good thing is you're having work published by Marvel and Image. Lately, you've been doing a lot of interiors, which I haven't seen in a while. So is this something uh, you've decided to return to as of late to get more into doing more interiors, more series? No, actually, um, it's just kind of deceptive. I've actually started working on Adventure Man actual pages in 2017. So in the, in the time that you weren't seeing me doing pages, I was doing pages. I have averaged like close to 50 covers a year in that time period over the last four years. Um, just to kind of buffer my income while working on Adventure Man. And, and, and then also, it's really cool to draw just do single images of these characters you like and challenging and, you know, to keep my name out there as going to be launching a creator-owned book. And so I really wanted to make sure that people and retailers wouldn't forget who I was. In a weird way, it almost bolstered my name more than had I just been working on a regular Marvel or DC book, which is kind of crazy. But I felt like I, it almost put me into a higher class than I was. Like, oh, this guy's an elite artist now. All he does is covers. In the meantime, I'm actually doing like at least like 10 pages a month of pages. It was tough, but I, I like drawing. I like telling stories too much to just go away from that. I, I love doing covers. and I love doing pages of storytelling. And, but they're completely different beasts. So ideally doing mostly pages and then one to two, maybe three covers a month is my kind of ideal situation. And then having odd um, design jobs or uh, poster jobs or just something unusual <laughs> to kind of keep me interested in doing what I do. Because it really helps doing, and I've really switched over the last five years of just doing more creative rounds of work because it gets me the opportunity to draw such a wide variety of subject matter that's really been 
gigantic in me improving as an artist because if I couldn't imagine myself just staying on a regular monthly series for years and years um, that I was just kind of a caretaker for as opposed to someone creating something new. You know, I, I was always a fan of Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, a little bit of comic stuff, but uh, more of the European comics or independent comics. I mean, I always love superheroes, but I'm a fan of so many different uh, subject matters and genres that to only be a superhero artist, I always found limiting and I, I never imagined that was my path. Um, I just assumed I would do it when it was available to me and I was good at it and it was fun to do, but I always assumed that there were things I could do. And, and, and obviously the ideal thing for me was always to kind of rotate between superhero stuff and then non-superhero work, just keep myself fresh. Just in my day-to-day -day work that I do, not in comics, but just doing work, I have to rotate what I do. And I usually have enough on my plate I can rotate different projects, but it keeps me a little sharper than just plugging away at one thing all day, day after day after day after day. Right. You started Adventureman back in 2017, and I can see why, because that first issue, I think was it like triple-sized or something? It was it was a big issue, and it didn't feel like a long issue. It wasn't like a slog to get through. I was like, oh, wow, that's it? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, there was so much design work that had to go into Adventure Man, so much quality design work that had to go into Adventure Man, because I knew where the story was going, and I knew we couldn't get to where we needed to be if the foundation wasn't there. And so there's so much stuff that I had to design and figure out that we were only going to see for those first, what is it, 20, 28 pages, 29 pages. It was very essential that those first pages looked authentic and lived in because there was so much stuff later on that counted on those pages being there. And so that world I had to create needed to be believable, as fantastic as it was. And then as soon as that battle was done, then I went to modern day and we dealt with nine new main characters. <laughs> <laughs> Plus all their surroundings and locations. I mean, it, it was New York City, but even still, I scouted New York. I was working on it between 2017 and 2019. I was in New York every year. And even in 2015, I think I knew as, as I was starting to take photos, I knew that's where the location was for this book. But still, it's one thing to have photo reference and, and to research it. And still another thing to take that and make it into your own, which is what I find real pleasure in is, is creating my own place and space and people and whatever is it turn it into something that make to my eye now looks good the photograph looks kind of cool but it's still not my plate it's a photograph of something else and it's like what can i take from this and learn from and create that into something that i want it to be that the first issue not only was extreme amount of work design wise but yeah just the labor of the hours to just get that much stuff done the style right and then rachel had to ink all those pages and then i had to color them all and matt had to you know, script all those lines of dialogue for all those characters as it's going to get going for its final pass. You know, after all these years, you know, and here was you now March or April of this year, three years later, him going, man, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Writing all these characters. <laughs> I gotta tell me about it, man. That's, that's why this is taking so long. I knew how many characters were there and how much stuff needed to be told. And uh, the rest of the issues won't be nearly as big. The series needed that intro in order for it to fly. There was so much discussion about it, the price on it, the length on it. Can we really do this? Is this smart? And it was the right decision, but it was tough to make. It must be. And it's a risk, too, because you put a lot of work into that first issue, as you always do in all your work. But that one was a big piece of work. And audiences today, some people, they're not very patient. Like right. They don't understand where things are going. Like, it starts out like a Doc Savage type story. And then it jumps to the present where 
you have Claire Connell reading to her son Tommy a bedtime story about this character, Adventure Man. Is he real? Is the book they're reading actually a diary of some kind? You know, what's going on? Things right. are being set up that are very important to know about Claire and her family relationship and her background, her business, what she does for a living. It's all very important to the character, but some people don't have patience for that. They want like, get to the point. What kind of feedback have you had on the first issue? I will just do it from like the social media standpoint. I've been on Twitter since 2012 and I've been on Instagram since 2016. So it gives me four to eight years of really good full on straight to me feedback. And in that time period, I've never had so much feedback about a title I've done and I've never had so much positive. Oh, great. Yeah, no comparison. I've worked on a lot of big books in that time, and nothing's compared to the feedback I've got on this book. I'm so thrilled because, you know, how many people were actually going to even be able to see the book and to have the biggest response to the book to a project when at the worst possible time, I'm so thrilled. It, may, it makes it all, all worthwhile. So I've not seen a single negative, even half negative, I don't think. <laughs> So I think a lot of people, maybe halfway through it, weren't so sure. But when they got to the last page, and that's what mattered. We had to give them all 56 of those pages or it wasn't going to work. And this is my, my suggestion was, can we do a issue zero for the first half of the book and then make Claire's half of the book issue one? Mm. And do something weird, just something to kind of make it a little bit more digestible. Both Matt and, and Eric at Image said, you know, no, we, we really need to have this all in the first issue. It's been really good. I'm so thrilled and everything that's going on in the world and uh, the amount of time that was put into it to get that positive response just really makes the amount of work that I'm doing on the rest of the series <laughs> worthwhile. It keeps me glued to my screen, the work I'm doing. Well, you worked with Matt back on the X-Men about 10 years ago, and now you're working together again. Yeah. And that story, uh, the story you're doing now, that collaboration with Matt, is this a passion you've both had to be telling kind of a pulp character type story? This story came out of us working together on the X-Men. We were doing an issue that took place in New York City. And I think the first time I met him in person, we were doing a signing at, at Comic-Con in San Diego. And you know, I was kind of chatting. We were doing our signing. And I go, you know, if we ever have an opportunity to do New York again, let me know because I'd really like to do it. And he's like, New York City. He goes, I got a story for you. <laughs> and that was Adventure Man. Oh, like, man. Like, six months, nine months later, he sent me the draft for Adventure Man. And that was May 2010 that he sent that to me. So that's a decade ago that that initial idea was put in my head. I think I did a couple other things. Then we did Defenders into 2012. And then I did started doing some other creator-owned stuff and some other Marvel stuff. And then he's, he was doing all his stuff. But we had the sketches that already started for Adventure Man. And then the adventure started regularly in 2015. We stayed connected and, and we're talking about the project that whole time. It really evolved in the 2015-2016 time period to what it is today. Who would be the target audience for this book? Matt said... And he writes this book and that book, he writes Sex Criminals. We know all the stuff he was writing and nothing that his kids could read. And especially by the time this was going to be closer to coming out, nothing his daughter could read. <laughs> so yeah. essentially this book is for his daughter. This is okay. a book that she can read because this is the finally, there's a book that is made for her to read. You know, we see this book, it's all ages, not a children's book. I compare it to something that was what I grew up with, which was a Marvel or DC book, if anybody of any age could kind of read that book and enjoy it. But I think as you see as the story progresses, there's a lot more to it than just a fun action book. I think we have a lot of um, a lot of things we want to play with, especially family and relations. The character stuff is a lot of fun for me to do. And I just think the way we've set up the characters, we get so many 
options of um, things to play around with with family and, and relationships. But obviously what it what it also does is opens a door to much fun adventure stuff. And then for me, time periods and devices and things to design, which I always love designing stuff. And this so much of this uh, book is in, is in a wheelhouse I'm very comfortable working in. Some of it isn't. I'm actually pushing Matt and myself to be designing things that have not been done before. And not a type of genre, not a type of known uh, adventure area or whatever. There's some stuff I really want to play around with that will not be like anything else, I hope. That's the goal, and we'll see, we'll see if I make it there. If not, it'll be a good try. Well, as you said, that you are penciling it, and Rachel is inking it, and you're also coloring it. Right. Is that the way you prefer to work on comics, where it's you and Rachel doing the art? Yeah. The thing is, is my artistic study, I mean, I'm basically self-taught, but all my formal training was in college. I did three years of painting where I actually learned color palettes and, and how to paint and value. And and I discovered all these amazing painters. And then at the exact same time, I, I broke into comics and I became a, a penciler, which all I did was pencil, which is gray lines on paper. You have no control over much else. Um, and so in my mind, I had all this color information. But I had nowhere to put it. So when Photoshop came along, I started playing around on that because I was like, okay, hold on. I understand all this, all these ideas I want to do with color. And finally, there's a tool that allows me to do that. It was just a matter of time to develop a technique and an art style that allowed me to combine my love of painting with my love of comics. I feel like that's where I'm at, or at least that's where I'm trying to go. And it's basically just means I'm producing work like how I see it in my head as opposed to trying to describe that to a colorist. What I want. I've been fortunate to work with a lot of great colorists, but there's one thing to be good at what you do, but then try to understand what I want. And, you know, I don't even expect them to do that. I expect the people to do their best job. I try to hire people I think will do what I think works best, but I see all this stuff in full color in my head. So uh, to send something out and go, okay, I know exactly what this looks like. And then it comes back and it's like, this looks nice, but this isn't even, you know, 10% of what I was thinking. It's such a nice tool to get my vision closer to uh, onto paper. So what's in my head, I really prefer it. The whole package looks great. It's fun to read. I think when readers and fans see issue two, they're going to be even more excited than issue number one. And the book is doing so well because so many other titles, I don't have a count of them. I know some have been put on hold. Some have been delayed. Some have been finished up in digital. They're not going to finish the print, go right to digital to finish off the series. So you're in a good place. Even with all those delays, this is out in print. The book was going to launch at the end of April. While we were preparing it to launch, I was wrapping up a um, X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries at Marvel. And that ended up taking up more of my time. So I couldn't put all the coloring out time I wanted to in the coloring of Adventure Man. And so with the delay, I was actually able to do what I wanted to do with Adventure Man. And I, we had no idea when it was going to come out. But Matt and I were talking like in April or so, let's say. And we're like, when this book comes out, it's going to be a good book to read with everything that's going on. I think it's just there's a lot of positive stuff in it. It'll be a good place for people to go to. So when we got the date that Diamond was back and that Image was going to ship our book in June, that's perfect. I think it's the right book at the right time. You know, obviously, you know, there's more important things. As a comic book, it's just a good feeling book and a good sense of adventure. It'll be nice for people to read, take their minds off what's going on. Absolutely. But it also hasn't forgotten some of the things that have gone on, because with issue two coming out July 6th, we've had a lot of things happen. Every week there's other things happening. We've had COVID-19, healthcare mm -hmm. workers dying from taking care of those who are sick. 
We've had the brutal, senseless death of George Floyd and more since then. We have protesters fighting to end systemic racism. And now in the second issue at the back, there's a bunch of resources in there so people can learn more about these problems to better educate themselves about that and and resources. And I was really impressed to see. And there's a lot. I mean, not just we're talking like one page. You turn this around very quickly. Image just put all that together for issue two. That's amazing. Yes. It was Matt, our editor, Turner Lobby. Mm-hmm. And Matt's wife, Kelly Sudaconic. I mean, I was the one that said, you know, we have this information back, all this space back here that we can do something with. Shouldn't we put something back here besides ads that everything's going on in the world right now to give people something? And those guys just took off with it. It was really nice to see what they came up with. And we we're saying the first issue, we're sweating hard getting this book out, getting into the printers and right in the middle of the COVID disasters that's going on. And then as we're putting out the second issue, which is we're sending off the printer two weeks ago, and it's just like there's so much crazy stuff going on in the world, so many bad things happening to, to try to be about this fun product. Um, we just really felt compelled to have a platform, a space to give them the information. That was what I felt was really important. If you had questions, if you wanted to help out somewhere, if you wanted more information, it's all there. It just gives people the opportunity to learn. It's up to you if you want to read the information or not, but at least it's all there. I'm, I'm hoping in issue three that we can do something a little more fun with the back matter that maybe things will be a little bit better and we can talk about just the comic itself. But obviously none of us have really experienced any of these things before. And then to have it all going on while I'm putting out a book that I've been working on for a decade, having all this decade worth of work coming out during the middle of all this is such a strange thing that I never would have guessed would have happened when I was creating it. So far removed from my thoughts while creating the book. You know, one thing I'll add though, because this is what really pushed me to say, let's do something in the back of this book. It's that, this book is full of a gigantic, diverse range of characters, races, and everything, all types of characters. And that was something that, as an artist, I really wanted to do. So I had so many characters to draw. I said, you know, let's try to try to put as many types of characters in this book so everybody has someone to identify with. And selfishly, as an artist, I love drawing variety. You know, I, I love drawing as many different types of characters, features, sizes, shapes as possible. And it just felt like it's really necessary something important in the back of the book because with such a diverse cast that I can't imagine this cast of characters that live in New York not discussing all these matters around the, the dinner table that they sit at. So it just felt felt really appropriate. It wasn't like we did, this is like a book about soccer, a book about uh, a video game. We're trying to make us a real family in New York. And if this isn't relevant to what these people are, you know, I don't know what is. So, you know, maybe... Initially, it seems a little weird that it's there, but it, it really feels appropriate, the situation that we're in and with the cast of characters that we have in the book, that it's just something that they would want to see. It certainly does. Another book you also have coming out is the X-Men Fantastic Four. That's shipping July 21st. Issue number four is finally right. coming yeah. out. So <laughs> it's been a while, but hey, it's, it's coming back. Yeah, um, we got it in uh, approximately being in April. You know, at that point, books were still shipping. I don't think it was until we returned our last pages that Diamond stopped. So, um, yeah, it'll be something for something for people to look for because Chip wrote a heck of a story. And the thing is, <laughs> the best punchlines are at the end of the story in the fourth issue, of course. And even the last few pages are, are awesome. Some good stuff in there that fans are going to remember. And it, it really makes the series uh, relevant. Not that it's just some miniseries that's there, but it actually has some potency to it that people can look back to in years from now. But what happened on those last few pages? And uh, I don't think anybody's expecting that stuff. So um, 
It's really cool. It's, it's nice to work on a book that people will remember. When I agreed to do it, it was a chance to return to the X-Men, but then a chance to work on the FF, which I was my, my favorite book growing up as a kid. It was the one series that I actually followed, you know, like the longest. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Byrne did a really long run. Oh, yes. We, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I started like 246 or something. Maybe like, I don't know if that's like 10 issues into his run or whatever, but it was he was the first artist that I actually, after a couple of issues, recognized his style, and I became a big fan of his during that. The stories were such a good variety of stories. You know, there was my favorite one was the trip into the negative zone, and um, he turned one of the issues sideways, and it was just like the coolest thing to be a young comic book fan, being exposed to all these things in the Marvel universe and uh, all, those, all these things I kind of want to know about, and he kind of touched on all those bases. So now, as a fully adult comic book professional he's worked all these years to finally be able to put my hands on those characters now as opposed to earlier in my career uh, it feels good i know what i want to do with them and uh, chip sadarsky wrote an amazing story and chip being an artist as well knows what to give me as an artist to uh, tell the story the best way possible um so to work with chip work on that cast of characters again and then to develop the FF on my own. It was a real blast. I'm, I'm really happy with it. And I think that fans are going to love how it turns out and to be very surprised too. Every issue at the end has had a punchline. I thought issue three had a big punchline. I can't That's wait right. to see number four. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Four lives up to it. It really is really cool to have a series that can really build like that because I've worked on so many superhero books where there are highs and lows. I don't know how many we actually finished on such a high. So it's cool to uh, to have this one finished that strong. Yeah, it was fun. I'd be happy to do more with those characters, especially the FF, or more stuff with Chip because um, we had a really good time. You know, reading the book, and I was looking at your art, and I don't usually think about, well, who would play this character in a movie? But if Marvel Studios ever did an FF movie, when I looked at your read in certain panels, I'm like, I could see John Kaczynski. Yeah. I could see him playing Reed. Yeah. You know, I've had people say that. And now it's like you were just starting to say that. I was going, who would I have? I guess John Kaczynski would probably be the best. (laughs) But that's because I've had two or three people say that to me, which is... I don't know why. I mean, <laughs> well, it's creeping in there. Beard, <laughs> if you didn't have the beard, maybe because yeah. the beard is new, mm-hmm. and for John, it's new too. I wouldn't guess that. Obviously, there's something there that that's sticking, and I'll, I'll go with it because uh, I can see him actually playing that character now. I mean, this is after drawing it. I can see him doing it. So yeah, that'd be great. Perhaps it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's time. It's time for the, the next, next, next FF relaunch. Oh, so yeah, I highly encourage people to get both of those, Adventure Man and X-Men Fantastic Four, because they're both fantastic reads. What can I say? Yeah, thanks, thanks. It's time for Kicking Back with the Creator, where I ask you the fun questions I ask all my guests. So, we've talked a little bit about this. So, Terry, recreation, what do you like to do? Oh, you know what? I'm going to start the easy stuff. I love going outside and, and having a sketchbook or being able to paint. Around our house, I love gardening. That's a huge thing I'm into now. Uh, it's so nice to get outside and take a break. I love going to the movies, which I'm not able to do. I mean, usually it's once a week I go to the movies. I love doing a lot of active stuff, uh, especially now it's like swimming or kayaking, uh, paddle boarding, surfing, bike riding, mountain bike riding, skiing, and snowshoeing in the wintertime. I don't know much of a recreation this, but I love travel. With this job, we've had such an opportunity to be invited all over the world or all over the U.S. and go and travel and explore new things. So almost a hobby of mine is to go and explore new places, new foods, new uh, bookstores, art stores are all huge. And um, live concerts are, are a hobby, are a recreation mm-hmm. for me. 
there used to be uh, live sports. We live close to two colleges where I can go watch uh, college football or basketball or baseball fairly easily. And that's just a really fun venue for me to get out. I spend a lot of time inside at my desk. And so I like to do a lot of things where I get out of the house and go refill the brain, the, the blank pages of my brain. <laughs> I just, I, I love the stimulation of all those things. You know, you're an artist, so you really need the simulation. I mean, you can't yeah. work in isolation. Like, how else do ideas come about? You have to know how things yeah. really look in person versus just on the web for reference. Exactly. My main source of thinking of things is when I'm not exercising. Mm -hmm. yeah, like, so I solve so many problems and come up with so many cool ideas, kind of in that void of just spacing out, which is hard to do when I'm working, when I'm concentrating on it. You know, exercise, we're five to six days a week, clockwork. You know, a certain time of day we go and we exercise. I mean, that's, I don't know if it's a hobby or a recreation, but it's definitely something that we enjoy doing. It's a huge part of our lives and it keeps us healthy to keep doing what we do. Have you had a chance to get back into the gym? Because they just started opening up ours where I am for limited hours. Yeah, ours opened up like maybe two weeks ago. Okay. And that's why, that's why Rachel isn't here with us for this interview because she, she would prefer <laughs> to go, go work out of the gym instead. Um, we actually set up a home gym. And all the exercises that I like to do, you know, my main exercise is running, then, then it's swimming, then it's cycling. So all those things I do outside the gym, it's weightlifting that I do four days a week at the gym. Yeah. And what I'm doing now is, is I'm going uh, twice a week, trying to do as much as I can in about 20 minutes, limit my exposure and mm -hmm. time there. Just really hit the heavy weights hard and then get out. Yeah, it, it hasn't impacted me too much. I run mostly, and I would do some cross-training when I was going to the gym. Mainly, I went to the gym for the weights. Now, yep. before I moved, I had everything. I had a bench. I had dumbbells, different weights. I had a cross-trainer at home. I had everything, but I couldn't bring it with me. So once I got here, I'm like, well, I don't need it. I go to the Y, you know? Right. And then I decided to get dumbbells after COVID hit. Well, that's like getting toilet paper. Right. I finally got a pair. I had to jump on them. When I saw them available online, and then after I bought them, I thought, maybe I should get another pair. And they were out of stock right after that. That was yeah. it. That's yeah. all I get. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. That was basically what happened to us. We had a really good workout set here, and then we really got into going to the gym maybe well over a decade ago. And so we ended up giving all that stuff away to uh, a nephew who's gotten into sports, and it was good for him to to work out on all that stuff because we weren't using it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. All of a sudden, all we have are these little tiny dumbbells. Oh, we made it work. You know, <laughs> I, that's why I'm doing a lot, heavy, a lot more strength stuff now at the gym because I, I really didn't have the opportunity to do that heavy lifting. So it yeah. feels good to be doing that again at the gym. We did really good with exercise and, uh, you know, stretching and sit-ups and that kind of uh, just standard exercise stuff with some dumbbells. I'm glad I haven't bought didn't have to buy anything more because I'd hate to, have to replace all those things oh, twice. I couldn't do it. It would be. Yeah. It's right now. It'd be really expensive because they are definitely gouging people for that. I got the dumbbells, and for a while before that, I was using my wife's dumbbells, like the real tiny ones, and I grabbed two at a time, like Ben Grimm. <laughs> and I would use a bag of mulch for overhead lifts because I had nothing yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> I had to improvise. Yeah. No. No. We. I mean, we were doing the same thing. Um, I ended up hurting my wrist. Like right in the middle of all that. And so I had to be really careful with my lifting. Otherwise, we have a pull-up bar. I would have been doing that. But, mm. so, you know, I, I was really taking it easy as far as what I was using on the wrist. So it was uh, sure. a bit trickier. I mean, I could have been doing push-ups and pull-ups. But uh, unfortunately, I couldn't do them. So I did. Just Take care it. of the wrist. That's your livelihood there. You need those oh, hands. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. I've had a couple of episodes where it's like, okay, this is where I back off. 
just take it easy and, and draw another day. Yes. We're not 20 anymore. Right. And speaking of being 20, what was your favorite birthday? I heard this question and actually I know this one. This is my 10th birthday. It was pretty cool. They all kind of blend in, but the 10th one was especially cool. I had a sleepover and a couple of friends of mine, we all went to a college football game actually that day. And then we went to an ice cream parlor and had a, had a big party there. And then we all had a sleepover that night at my place in Prophecy, which was a horror movie, like around 80 or 81 was on that night. And we all stayed up watching that movie and freaking out watching that. And uh, <laughs> that, that 10th birthday was a good one. It's all been fine, but that one was especially memorable just because of the friends and all the activities we had. That was a good one. That's cool. Yeah. Around the same time, maybe a couple of years older, what posters and or pictures did you have on your bedroom wall? You know, there was this evolution from my earlier childhood, my childhood, going from like Star Wars posters mm-hmm. and anything comic book related, which swiftly went into imitating my brothers. And so it went into uh, music posters, music posters, posters for bands visiting the city you know, that you could pull off of a wall, you know, so it'd be like uh, at, at clubs. And okay. so my walls were covered with uh, just, I'd, I'd say from 12 till I graduated, there was all music posters and, and band appearance posters, which you know were pretty cool. What are some of the big concerts that you've been to? Our favorite thing to do is to go to clubs with like uh, two, three, 400 people and seeing bands where we can actually see them, where we can actually stand on the ground and actually watch them from 10 rows back or 15, whatever, as close as we can get. So... There's between Eugene and Portland, or if I'm happen to be traveling for a show, I will always check venues and go see a concert. Like two or three years ago, I was was at New York Comic Con, and I took an Uber to Brooklyn to catch a concert in a church for one of my favorite performers. You know, we've been to a lot of big ones, but I really like going to clubs and seeing small bands because most of the music I like is uh, lesser known bands. And it's Mm -hmm. such a more intimate way to watch a show and just enjoy the music as opposed to being a a spectacle or or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd rather watch the artists than watch them on the Jumbotron. I can't see see what's going on. My favorite band growing up was R.E.M. Uh Uh-huh. I'd loved them since I was like in eighth grade. And I finally got to see them my freshman year in college. And it was that. Uh, you know, a big concert and I was like 20,000 people there and I was, you know, number 19,000 <laughs> back. And so I so finally got to see my favorite band and then they exploded in the meantime. And so after that experience, like as cool as I was, I started going to just the clubs with all the local bands, the time that uh, like Nirvana was getting popular and all that kind of stuff was going on. The Northwest was actually a pretty cool place to see good bands for really cheap at all times during the week. If I wanted to go see a band, I'd have to drive to Philly or Camden when I was living on the East Coast. Yeah. That's where the big acts went. And occasionally, like there was one concert that was in Delaware, and it was at a place called Kahunaville. I think mm-hmm. it was a chain. And I went one night, I can't believe that they were in Delaware. I went to see Green Day. Oh, right on. Okay. When the Warning album came out in 2000, that was a lot of fun because it was outside on the deck. Right. You know, it was. I, can't believe they went there, but that was pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely like the smaller venues. Everything sounds better. You can see everything. <laughs> exactly. It's an experience. It's, uh, yes. You know, it's very interactive. It's just so much more intimate and interactive. Um, it's just a better experience is the word I'm using. But definitely. There's no really getting around that. <laughs> now, hypothetical situation. You're on a deserted island. You have a book or a set of books that are related to read for pleasure. Don't worry about survival. What would you want to have with you to read to pass the time? I thought about this question a lot because I hear this a lot. I really thought about it. And 
Honestly, I'd want a blank sketchbook. Mm, okay. <laughs> My own book that I'm creating and drawing, that would entertain me so much more than to read something that I've already read or everything that I've liked, I've read and read multiple times. I can't imagine if I was on a deserted island that I want to read it again. Um, and I can't imagine anything that I haven't read yet would satisfy me. I think having paper, a sketchbook, even if I had to just use uh, charcoal from a fire to draw with it, <laughs> To be able to put down my thoughts on paper would be way more interesting to me than anything else. Okay. Never had that answer before. <laughs> That's a good one. One more hypothetical. Image is going to make an action figure of you. What would be your accessory? Oh, man. I don't want to say pencil or iPhone yeah, that's, uh, or computer or things that are <laughs> <laughs> that remind me of too much of what I do. I'll go with the novelty, the sketchbook. That honestly feels pretty good. And that seems realistic. I carry it around with me quite a bit. So it's there. Yeah, that's a good one. I could say uh, a paddleboard or a um, uh -huh. bicycle or something, but that's a little too big. I don't think that fits that. <laughs> we'll, go with, we'll go with the sketchbook. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll go down with the ship with that one. All right. What is your beverage of choice when you're relaxing? I like uh, red wine or I like uh, micro brews. Ah. <laughs> so I guess if those are more, I'm relaxing with those. I mean, we live kind of like in the, one of the meccas of microbrew or craft in Oregon. Yeah. And like when, since I was 21, that's like just when things were taken off. And so that's always been an option. And now it's like in Oregon, I'm sure like anywhere else I travel to, you can't go to a town that doesn't have its own little brewery, a microbrewery. And uh, I'm not getting tired of trying out new beers, which probably sounds dull to people that don't drink beer. But when the world of craft brewing is open to you, yes. <laughs> there are thousands and there's new ones every day. So uh, there's this little town not far from us that has maybe 800 people in it. Maybe. They have a craft brewery there that has 20, at least 20 of their beers on tap. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> 20. <laughs> and up and down the coast here in Oregon, it's like a little town has one of these. And it's really impressive. Oh, that sounds great. That would be a, that'd be a problem for me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'd have to yeah. work out more. <laughs> yeah, it, it does make it difficult to choose just one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back to reading. Was there a book that you read that changed the way you think? I read a lot of scientific books, but there's you know there's a couple of books that touched on evolution mm -hmm. and um, how that happens. How, how much I've learned throughout life, looking at things and trying to figure out why things happen. People do things, or obviously I didn't understand why animals do these things, but so much stuff makes sense because of some books I've read that had that information on it that really simplified the fact of how something changes from this to that through evolution or whatever. And I can see that in society as like a social Darwinism thing or whatever. And that, you know, just kind of self-education observation, I guess. And I can't attribute it to one book, but I think there's a couple of different books that have that stuff in there, you know, from just history to the universe to animal books or whatever. But um, that really helps me understand a lot of how the world works from politics on to uh, everything else. It's stunning to use that idea of survival and how that affects how we do everything. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of it's stunning. I don't know. I don't know. It really makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. My final question, and I have not asked this of another guest. In Adventure Man, we know on Fridays, Claire has to eat Sabbat dinner with her family. Everyone has to play high-low adventure. So, reflecting on your career in comics, what was the high? What was the low? And what was the adventure? Boy. 
Oh, man. Um, let's see. Hi, is even today, you know, the, what I'm doing now. There's, I can point every couple of years or something that happened that was great, and then every couple of years something else great happens. The low, the definitive low point of my uh, comic career was uh, 2001, which is about uh, eight straight years of working. I was working on Harley Quinn, having a great time on it. It was, it was uh, doing really well and was easily doing my best work in my career. Rachel's doing a great job. Alex Sinclair was coloring it, working with Carl Kiesel having the best time and around uh, issue 13 or 14. So well over a year into the run to start about problems, even just holding onto a pencil. I was getting really bad fatigue in my hand. And uh, I got to one page where I literally was halfway into that page and I could not hold a pencil any longer. It had been kind of developing over a month or so. I couldn't hold a pencil. So I went to the doctor and uh, they kind of did some tests and they go, oh, we think you have carpal tunnel, so we're going to have you put this brace on for three months and then come back and we'll take a look at you again. <laughs> so, so this was like uh, September 2001. The fortunate thing was I actually started drawing just right then in my left hand. Rachel was inking me still. And in, in, my, in my mind, the brain's where all the information is. The hands are just tools. And so uh, I worked left-handed October, November, December. And then January, my left hand was getting strained because I'd never done anything like that before. Yeah. And so I go in the, to the doctor wearing two braces. <laughs> um, and like, I'm thinking my career is over. Here it is, eight years drawing comic books and I'm done. I mean, I'm going to have to go back to school and get a degree doing something else. And uh, so it was pretty dark times. But he said, you know what, let's send you to a physical therapist because you don't have any definitive carpal tunnel things, you don't have the numbness, you don't have, there's some certain things I really didn't have. I mean, whatever the science words, it's been a while now. And so I went to therapy feeling pretty low and thinking it just won't help, but we started doing little exercises. The thing is the first day the therapist did some tests on me, the strength in my right arm was the strength of like a three-year-old child. Mm. Wow. <laughs> my muscles were so fatigued and so exhausted from grabbing a pencil or grabbing a mouse 14 hours a day for eight years. I simply had just wore myself out. And so we just started doing um, a little bit of exercises, stretches. The big thing I took away from that was I was taking a break every 15 minutes. And she actually told me, don't worry about the braces anymore. Just start drawing and doing dishes and do those things. Just don't do them for a long time. Do it in moderation. You know, Do the dishes because I, I basically just quit doing anything that I thought might tire out my arm. And she actually had me do the opposite in moderation. Mm -hmm. And by you know two, three months into it, I was drawn again back to normal. You know, I couldn't have done it without uh, Rachel inking me because having that steady line and, and that we'd been such a team really made a gigantic difference. And no one really knew. Um, no one could tell. No one professionally knew about it. No one, no fans knew about it. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was amazing. And it's still to this day, it's been 19 years now. So I really, I have a timer. I've used a timer for 19 years. So every 20 minutes, approximately, I get up and take a break. And I've been loyally doing weightlifting and exercise and, and taking breaks and just doing all these things that are beneficial for me. And long term, it's great because this last 20 years, I've been standing up every 20 minutes as opposed to sitting for hours, which is, as we found, is such a huge thing. For the importance of your health is to stand as much as you can. And I've actually switched over to a standing desk role on my computer and coloring work. But uh, yeah, that was definitely the low point because that was bleak times. Uh, and so that was eight years into my career it happened and it's been 18 years since. Uh, yeah, it's a good warning sign for all our 
is take a break and limit your time with the computer and uh, drawing. And you can keep going. You might be able to draw forever. (laughs) I've seen more of those standing desks in the workplaces as the years have gone by. And I don't even use a chair. I use kind of a kneeler when I'm at Mm -hmm. my computer, at least at Mm -hmm. home. And I do get up a lot because if I don't, if I sit for an hour, even I'm not drawing, but my legs, uh, just the hamstrings and everything, I have to get up and walk around. Yeah. Because you get really stiff. You don't realize it until you move. So it's good for your health, of course, to move around. Do you do specific hand exercises, stretches before you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, when I'm feeling better, I just kind of make sure you know, I'm warmed up before I start drawing. I can tell if uh, my hand's cold, my arms are cold, if my body's cold. Like in the summer, I'm not having any problems, really, because I'm already warmed up. But um, I do have uh, – there's like a squishy ball thing, which mm-hmm. one of those things I did. But then there was like, like a um, uh, like silly putty. Um, and I still have this. And then you would make it into a ball and move that – do that kind of stuff with your hands. And then I would make it into a circle. And then I'd put it over my fingers and stretch it out. That really helped the strength of my hand. Twice a week for 18 years now, there's uh, numerous muscle exercises from my forearms, my shoulders, my back that I've been doing religiously that I always do. You've been able to recover by the physical therapy following the breaks and the stretches and the strengthening, and you're not having to use any kind of special medication, pain relievers. Right. If uh, like the spring, um, my wrist, and this is actually just more like a tendonitis thing, but it's still based off of initial problems I was having from repetitive stress. I had a recurring wrist tendonitis this spring and I was started wearing my brace after a month because I actually hadn't worn my brace for sleeping at night for like at least a decade. My brother's a doctor and he's like, hey, you have a brace? Just put that on. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Because what happens is during those eight hours of the night, your your wrist gets a chance to just relax and rest and recover. And that's your best recovery time. And, and pretty soon I was able to get back to normal. But my problem is that some of my favorite activities are swimming and bicycling, which it don't seem like but they really wreak havoc on your wrists over a prolonged time. So um, <laughs> it's moderation on a lot, of, a lot of those things. But yeah, there's about six to eight stretches I do daily, depending on how much my wrist is bugging me. This is how much I'll do them. And at some point, I should actually pull this stuff down so people can use it. But the best thing is to try to avoid it in the first place by uh, taking breaks before you have those problems. Because you can really offset it for a long time, I think, by... Uh, just managing your time. Just in that, all you really have to do is just stand up and take a five minute break every hour. Just minimum. Just do that. It's easy. You know, add years to your career. Are you uh, ambidextrous now? Are you able to draw with both hands? Not, I'm sure, probably not equally as well. But are you better at it now than you were before? Uh, well, yeah, I'm better at it than I was before the incident. But like, like for instance, I've been mousing left hand for 18 years now. All my mouse work is left handed. So that's the only thing I constantly do left handed. But I actually think there's anything that I want to do left-handed is a lot easier now than it was before. That. I do just use it so much. And and if my wrist is bugging me, I will use my left hand for a lot of things. So I, I don't know if I'm ambidextrous by birth, but I've definitely trained myself to use both hands, which is good. It's yeah. nice, nice to know to have that in my back pocket. Well, thanks for sharing that because I'm sure there are a lot of artists out there who could – heed that advice and give their body a break and do the proper stretching so they can do what you're doing for a long time and can keep doing it and keep doing it well. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And then adventure, a chance to go to Australia for two weeks and do two shows, you know? Yeah. (laughs) My wife with me, Rachel, my inker and wife, and, uh, you know, meet all these great people. You know, that kind of thing, that'd be the adventure. You're definitely doing your best work. We have Adventure Man, and number two is coming July 6th, and X-Men Fantastic Four 
number four, July 21st. Terry, thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Listen to your show, so keep it up. And this just in, Adventure Man number one has sold out through Diamond Distributors, and it'll go into a second printing. The second printing will be available in comic shops on July 22nd. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Terry. Do you want more? Would you like to hear more? Well, next week on Thursday, my guest will be Stuart Moore, the writer and award-winning comics editor. Stuart is the writer on Captain Ginger and Bronze Age Boogie being published through Ahoy Comics. So we're going to talk about working with Ahoy Comics and working on Captain Ginger and Bronze Age Boogie. This interview will contain plenty of 70s nostalgia. So please join me then. This show comes out every other Thursday. It is on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Stitcher, voice-enabled devices, Spotify, all the usual places. Please subscribe so you don't miss a single interview. Interviews with living legends and with up-and-coming creators who may be the next legend. It is very much appreciated if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show a great deal. And please spread the word, retweet on Twitter, share on Facebook, and tell a friend about the show. Well, I said it's getting hot out here in Las Vegas and in the Southwest, and it's no joke. Last weekend, we had a brush fire at Mount Charleston. It started out as just being 10 acres and grew to over 3,000 in less than a day. It was multiplying by the hour exponentially. Fortunately, no one was hurt. The fire was about 25 miles from the house, so no one was in any imminent danger. But I took some pictures of it and it made for some incredible photographs. In fact, I posted one on Instagram. So for that photo, other photos of the Great Southwest, and maybe the beverage that I'm enjoying while I'm reading my comic books, you can go to my Instagram account, at CreatorTalksPod. That's at CreatorTalksPod. That is also my account for Facebook and Twitter, at CreatorTalksPod, where I also post my Saturday and Sunday Silver Age, Bronze Age, or Copper Age comics from my collection. I hope you all have a safe, healthy, and happy 4th of July weekend. And if you cannot social distance, please wear a mask. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time.